laws are very powerful and they show everybody in society what the country thinks is important you're showing them that voting driving being able to do things for yourself legally without operating with your parents or your guardians very important you must wait till you're 18 but you're saying what you do with your body at 16 is not important Hello podcast listeners, welcome to our third and final episode on sexual health, education and culture right here on Grassroots Radio. I am your host Yannick Bird and my guest this week is Zoe Janelle Teague who is a law student completing her studies at the Norman Manley Law School in Jamaica. As a young woman and future legal luminary, Zoe shares her perspectives on how our laws can shape our sexual habits and beliefs. I also feel the need to issue a bit of a content warning on this one because we do talk about some pretty heavy topics as well as sharing some personal experiences on the negative end of the sexual interaction spectrum. If you would rather not hear any of that, <laughs> um tread lightly through this episode or I don't know, skip it completely, but I think it was still important for us to talk about these things and not shy away from these topics because our silence is a big part of why these issues persist the way that they do. I will catch y'all next week for the beginning of our series on conscious entertainment. This sex thing has been a bit of a heavy topic, so we're going on the lighter side of things next. So stick around for that. Until then, enjoy the episode. Be sure to let us know what you think on social media, and here is Zoe Teague to tell you who she is. I am Janelle Zoe Teague. I am a final year law student at the Norman Manley Law School. I am a 23-year-old who is very passionate about the law social change helping others and entrepreneurship i'm also the proud owner of two businesses profile 268 which is which is in antigua and profile mona which is based here in jamaica where i study so you're currently in jamaica studying law and this is something that you've had a passion for for a long time can you kind of tell me how you got like how did you decide that law is what you wanted to pursue Sure, that's actually a funny story. You know, I'm very talkative and you know in your family when you're talkative and you're outspoken and you're argumentative, everybody says, "Oh, you should be a lawyer." Mhm. But um when I was graduating from primary school, they made us do this thing where they we, we got up on stage and said what we'd be when we're adults. And I got up on the stage and I said, "I'm going to be a lawyer. I'm going to be a queen's counsel." So I guess you could say it's always been something I've been interested in from a, from a, from childhood. Mm-hmm. But as I was in high school, I was trying to navigate different spaces because I didn't I wasn't sure. I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to do that. But as fate would have it, that is where I ended up when it came to when I really got into thinking about my future like fourth form, fifth form. the subjects i chose were geared towards law when i got to the antigua state college the same subjects that then i chose were geared towards law 
so by the time it by when it became time to choose something for university i was already my mind was already made up mm-hmm. it was gonna be law i was going to you to do law so you've been on that track for a long time basically yeah is there a particular aspect of the legal field that you're more focused on it's a really big area at first i wasn't sure i really thought about maybe human rights but now i'm in law school and we're doing the more practical side of things i'm going into prosecuting and seeing where that takes me that would be working with the government in terms of on the instead of being a defense lawyer the criminal as going into the prosecuting persons on the other side which would be for the government right so you'd be on the crown side kind of going after the criminals yes um is there a particular reason why you decided to go in that direction what we've been doing a lot of at law school is a lot of we do a lot of practical exercises and i as you said the law is very diverse so i could go into an area where we haven't really got much specific training but i naturally one of the courses i loved last year was criminal law and also when you go into that field it's more trial advocacy which is litigation speaking in court and i genuinely enjoy all of that i'm actually on a team for my school for a trial advocacy competition that's coming up next week in the bahamas i love the i i love the courtroom it really brings me joy to do all of that to see how those things come together that's beautiful that you're able to align your career with something that makes you so happy and brings you so much joy that's something i was very concerned about mm-hmm. especially when i was in university i wasn't sure if they i said okay yes i'm doing this law thing and i've always wanted to do it but now i'm here do i really want to do this and i don't intend to be in law forever but i think at least to start i have a good sense of where i want to be and where i belong to at least to start and so today we're talking about sex and the legal aspects of that topic so can you kind of introduce to us why this topic is of particular interest to you so for me sex cuts across all areas of our society as well as so does the law and the law helps to shape our society so when i think about sex in the context of how our laws and how we operate in that sphere go together i'm very interested i think about for me human rights and a lot of atrocities occur within the space of sexual sex and sexual activity and just a deeper understanding I I'm a young woman and I sex is something that we talk about in in a lot of spheres but we don't really consider the implications of it and I've had my own personal ne- positive and negative experiences with sex so it's something that really is personal to me mm-hmm. and so that's one of the reasons I'm so very interested in sex and how it operates in our society and our laws. Right, you made a great point about how our law shaped our society and sex is something that cuts across so many different aspects of our lives. So, can you illustrate, I guess, 
some of the the legal challenges as it pertains to like the laws that we have on books and how they could be potentially shaping um, challenges in our society in terms of how we relate to each other around sex. So the first thing that comes to my mind when you ask that question mm-hmm. would have to be the buggery laws. Right. And those laws are criminalizing sexual activity and this is it isn't it's not specific to gender, but it so it affects men, women and anybody who identifies with anything else. But when you look at prisons and we know our prison is heavily populated by men, they are engaging in sexual activity with each other. We because our laws on the books say that buggery is illegal, you can't provide these men in prison with condoms. Something as simple as that, where realistically their sexual health is important and mm-hmm. the transmission of diseases is something that you would want to keep to a minimum. You can't even do that because your laws preclude you in such a simple way, a subtle but simple way, and we don't think about those wider implications. And without looking at prison, the reality is people are homosexual. And so therefore, you're not being able to, able to properly educate people, to properly talk to not even homosexual but people who engage in a variety of different activities we know that there are men who who identify as men who have sex with men you want to properly yes you know there are doctors and there are people who are educating and doing their part but our laws are literally stopping institutions from properly dealing with these issues and to educate because that's illegal it doesn't make sense to me um additionally something that it's not exactly sex but it has it is sex the the age of consent and also the age of consent is 16 you can have sex but you can't vote so you can yes you can make that decision but you can't vote because because sex is a big decision and we we look at again laws influence society so because yes we have 16 on the books but then I don't think people who are, and this now goes into education for me, you allow teenagers to have sex. You say, yes, this is legal, but you're not properly equipping them with the sexual education tools to make wise sexual decisions. Yeah, that's totally where I was going to go next, even in terms of the buggery laws, because you have these things on the books that preclude you from making certain institutional decisions. And one of those would be what kinds of topics are allowed to be taught in schools. Mm-hmm. And even in the other conversations I've had for this um, sex health series, people have brought up the fact that homophobia is actually taught in our schools. Like you will hear from your teachers that being gay is wrong and you shouldn't do it, the end. And there isn't really much room there for expansion exactly and so the teachers are saying that homophobia is being taught in our schools and the laws are also saying that so when you turn to the laws which as i said shape our society you can't expect any better because Mm -hmm. yes you can change the mind of the people but literally your laws say your laws are very powerful and they show everybody in society where the country is going where what the country thinks is important for example we made recently 
and I'm not going to get it 100% right, but I do know we recently made the, we increased the fines for people who were caught using their cell phones while driving. That shows that this is a big deal. It mm-hmm. shows that the country is taking a stand. So people know that's important. We changed our laws when it came to plastic and styrofoam. That shows where the country is taking a stand. It shows this is the mindset that we are trying to shape. We don't change our laws in relation to sex. In specific areas, it's not going to change the mindset of the people because as far as they're concerned, why would I even be concerned with that? If the law, if the law say it wrong, I've heard, I've heard people in Antigua say, well, you pardon the books that did not ever come off. Right, which I mean, historically, people have been complaining about these laws for a long time and now internationally, it's a bit of a scandal that we still have these laws on our books. I remember even um, a coworker of mine here in Canada, you know, a white woman, whatever, she works as a travel writer and they were planning this big conference and Barbados was the place that they wanted to go. Someone found out that Barbados still has buggery laws on the books. And so it became a huge thing within their organization. And they're like, well, we can't go there because we can't support a country that still has these archaic laws. And like, how are our gay coworkers going to feel if they have to go to this place, right? So it's not even just about us internally and what it means, but there's also international implications, especially for countries that are so dependent. Yeah, on tourism. Yeah. I, I totally agree with you on that point. And it's something that I don't really know if our leaders are even taking into consideration. I remember last what was the last summer, maybe two summers ago, when there were rainbow flags up for carnival. Yep. Not anything to do with LGBTQ, but simply some decorations and the way people behaved as though this was an outrage. The government has to lead. That is why people put governments in place. But I think another issue with this, with that and changing of the laws and governments and lobbying is that governments are so concerned in our region with getting back in power for five years, another five years consistently, if they feel as though changing those laws in that way would affect them getting back in power, they're willing to take a back seat on something that is a serious issue and something that affects all of us because uh, I want to be in power in five years. But you have, the governments have to lead and as you said, in the international sphere of it all, are we, when are we going to catch up? And these laws are not even laws that are antique, and these are laws that were imposed on us. That, that's a really excellent point about the imposition of these laws, because let's face it, when we first became a nation of laws and all this, it wasn't us as you know, Black people, descendants of Africans, who sat down and came up with these things. They were sort of handed over to us. And it was up to us from that point forward to mold them into something that makes sense for our societies. And I think in a lot of cases, that molding process has just kind of become stagnant in certain areas. I agree. And that's a wider issue that I personally, as a young person who is in the the legal field, has an issue with because our laws change in our laws moves very slowly. We've never had a constitutional amendment. 
since we've been independent and to me that's a very big issue mm-hmm. there are that's a whole other conversation going back to the point about laws being imposed on us and you you you're right these laws are supposed to change and we're supposed to flesh them out but i see a big issue all the time where i feel as though we're, comfort, we're comfortable and i mean i don't work in the attorney general's office i'm not a legislative drafter so i don't know what are the hiccups that they may be experiencing but i would love to see more change faster proactive change where our laws are concerned especially under the sexual offenses act i mean kind of straying away we have a very comprehensive electronic not straying away we have a very comprehensive electronic crimes act which deals with revenge porn which deals with child pornography so we we are seeing some changes but things could obviously be moving a bit faster as far as i'm concerned yeah it seems kind of like technology is one of those areas where you're kind of forced to move quickly but then when it comes to being outside of that there's a bit more of a resistance or struggle or something i was reminded of this quote by i think it was andrew breitbart who said politics is downstream from culture so if you have a culture where homosexuality is accepted and another big thing like you touched on the consent laws is that if it's culturally acceptable to have sex with teenagers as an adult or to be homophobic just generally then it becomes much harder for the politicians to take action on those things what would yes. speak to that conceptualization i agree because and like as i said earlier that is one of the things that preclude our politicians from changing the the laws because the, the pervasive culture is i have to get back five years i need to win the election i have to get back to another five years even though you know i've only been in power for three years which is antigua so mm-hmm. because i'm always in this constant election cycle we are always and this is a regional thing i've noticed as well we are always in a, an election cycle which means that sometimes issues that may be controversial and are hot topics but really could push a vast majority in your against you politicians are afraid to do things that may shake things up in the country they are afraid to do because i want to win the next election So you had mentioned the consent laws a little bit earlier and let's dive into that a little bit. Like what do you see as the problems emerging from like you pointed out this dichotomy between you can give consent at the age of 16 however you have to wait until you're 18 to vote. So it's like in the sexual arena you're an adult at 16 but as far as making decisions about your country you have to wait another 2 years before you're considered an adult. What problems do you see emerging from that split? Well, first and foremost, adults, grown men and women who are simply waiting, sometimes they're not, but simply waiting and grooming young people for when they're 16 to finally engage in sexual activity with them. Mm-hmm. And some as I said, right, the reality is some of them are not waiting, but there are some who are literally waiting for somebody's birthday to t- to t- their 16th birthday. for them to finally engage legally in a sexual act with them and that has to be an issue for me 
young people, yes, as I said, they're going to think about sex. We are sexual beings at our core. That's something I believe. But we're not really explaining to young people, I think. You're showing them that voting, driving, being able to do things for yourself legally without operating with your parents or your guardians. Very important, you must wait till you're 18. But you're saying what you do with your body at 16 is not important. It's not a, it's not a big decision. It's a very major decision. I don't think that we're properly preparing young people for that. The sexual education programs we have, if we have any in school, then subpar. But then the laws say, okay, 16, go ahead, do what you want. You're not showing young people that uh, maybe this is something I should think about more deep on a deeper level because nobody thinks that you're old enough to drive a car by yourself. You need to have somebody who's had your license for five years in a car with you at 16 years old to drive. But to engage in an act which has such great implications in terms of pregnancy, diseases, and just sex is a very powerful act overall. Go ahead, 16, doesn't matter. We're not stopping you now. Nobody can tell you anything. Mm -hmm. That's not right. It's really interesting, Caribbean culture, because we have this, this kind of puritanical ideal about a lot of things that we have codified into law. And then when you come down to the cultural level and look at what actually happens, it's anything but that puritanical standard. It is, and it's it's interesting that you said that because I I don't think I've ever looked at it that way. But for example, we have, as you said, 16 is the, we're talking about 16 is the age of consent, but we're so, we talk about abstinence from sex and, and homophobia and all of that but you're gonna tell a 16 year old abstain abstain but you tell me oh i should tell yes tell them to abstain but then the laws tell them yes it's okay what are you talking about really yeah because to my mind the law says do it but you're gonna tell me oh abstain sex is bad but you literally have codified on the law that once i'm 16 i'm okay mm-hmm And then also you have this, like, the cultural side of it, which people will go around saying things like, after 12 is lunch. I hate that saying. And as I said, I've had negative and positive experiences with sex. And as a young woman growing up in the Antiguan society, men don't care. They really don't. Men do not care. And I I know of circumstances, because we talk about women a lot but and females a lot girls women but boys and men are also very susceptible but in ways that sometimes you don't see i know young men adults not who would have told me zoe older women have troubled me and have done things to me you know my first sexual experience it was not consensual yeah but this again goes back to our laws because men can't be raped right that that's a big one because it's the it, the, the act literally speaks to a vagina and a penis entering a vagina mm. penetration in that way so we can't even protect men and boys who may be raped and then society if our laws say that they can't be raped when these because these things happen when men or a young boy goes to say i was raped 
who's going to help them? The laws don't actually reflect that that is a thing. So police is looking at it, oh, how you as a man get raped? Hmm. So even if it was an act of homosexual rape, because the law has defined it as a penis entering a vagina, even in that more extreme situation, a man cannot claim that he was raped under the law. He can't, he can't claim that he was raped. He That's horrifying. Say, he can say he was buggered, but he cannot say he was raped. Mm. That, that needs to be fixed, right? Because rape isn't... It's not like, black and white. It's not black and white. It's not unique to one gender. And but, uh, it should be defined in terms of consent rather than a particular act. But additionally, as you said, it should be con- defined in terms of consent. The other tricky issue that is when you literally swallow, it has to be a penis into a vagina. Mm-hmm. A woman, a woman, for example, can be raped in other societies. She could be raped because a man used a sexual toy on her without her consent. Right. But in our society, it would have to be sexual assault or something else. So it fits into a lesser offense mm-hmm. than rape. So you are precluding persons from being able to access justice yeah. because the book and justice in the best way possible in some instances because our laws do not accurately reflect the range of things that a person can experience. And laws, as I said, they cut across society, so they probably need to address the issues in society. Let's talk a little bit about sentencing. You just mentioned, okay, so there's rape, which is probably like the highest level, but then there's also sexual assault, and then there's things like... um, indecent decent assault yeah or unlawful carnal knowledge yes things of that nature so how does sentencing work like what are the approximate um punishments associated with these different levels of sexual crimes well yanni i would have to double check but just mm-hmm. going back before i go forward a man can't rape his wife so there are nuances to it but a man cannot rape his wife per se. So there are certain nuances. For example, he would have committed sexual assault, but it wouldn't be rape. Okay, so sexual assault is possible within the confines of a marriage, but not rape. Yes, but there are certain things that need to be included. For example, they would have been needed to have been divorced and divorced under the law. There needs to be a separation agreement in place. In order for you to claim that you were sexually assaulted by a spouse? Yes. And not a spouse, a husband. To a, a husband, right. To a wife, because mm-hmm. it doesn't flip on the other side. So basically, if you marry someone in this context, you're giving them unlimited consent to do whatever they want to do to you. That's basically it, right? It's like a... You got a blank check to do anything you need to do to me. And I can't say anything about it unless we happen to be divorced. And even in that case, it can't be a rape, even though you full on would have committed that act. It would be sexual sexual assault. assault. Yes. Yeah, Yeah. that's got to go. Indeed. Um, So I'm here. I'm looking at the sexual assault, a sexual offenses act. Okay. Granted, there have been some amendments, 
Um, How recently? 2004, if my memory serves correctly. I don't have that amended act with me, but I do have the one from 1995. So, for example, we have, as I was telling about sexual assault, we have rape, which is a male person commits the offense of rape when he has sexual intercourse with a female person who is not his wife mm-hmm. without her consent where he knows that she does not consent to the intercourse or he's reckless as to whether she consents to it or with her consent where the consent is extorted by threats of fear of bodily harm to her or to another or the consent is obtained by impersonating her husband or the consent is obtained by false and fraudulent representations as to the nature of the act so for that charge of rape the man is liable on conviction to imprisonment for life but so we talked about husband who commits the offense of sexual assault he's not only liable on conviction to imprisonment for 15 years look at that disparity right so it goes from life all the way down to so just 15 years wow so what are we talking about here that that Mm. doesn't make sense we have now i'm gonna use sex with a person under a certain age to show you another disparity where a male person has sexual intercourse with a female person who is under the age of 14 years he is guilty of an offense and that man is liable to imp- on conviction to imprisonment for, for life however where a male person has sexual intercourse with a female person who is not his wife with her consent and has attained the age of 14 years but has not yet attained the age of 16 years, he is only guilty of an offense. And only he's guilty of an offense, but he's only liable on conviction to imprisonment for 10 years. Well, so between the ages of 14 to 16, it goes down to 10 years from life if you're under 14. Yes. And yikes. For a young for a woman. Where a female adult has sexual intercourse with a male person who is not her husband and who is under the age of 16 years, she is guilty of an offense. Whether or not the male has consented, she's only liable on conviction to imprisonment for seven years. So it's somehow less harmful when it's being done to To a a, a young, yes, a young boy. That's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. Now, as I said, just so that I'm clear, there could be changes that have been made to the Sexual Offenses Act and I may not be quoting properly, mm-hmm. but that's 1995 and the amendment was made in 2004. So yes, that's 16 years. So maybe we have seen changes. I'm aware of that. But realistically, these things are in 1995 to 2020. These things are, st- are still in the mindsets of a lot of people. Like, oh, well, the law don't even really consider a young man to be a big deal. Seven years? Okay, I mean, we'll do that for you. That, you will hear conversations like that. Nobody's going to find out. Right. Because there's also this culture of silence around these issues. And when we think about how like how frequently these things happen and go unreported and go untalked about how is that playing into like 
the psychological aspect of our people. Like if you have people who are carrying this kind of weight with them and they can't talk about it and they can't express it and nobody knows, it's still affecting your life. It's still affecting how you relate to other people sexually. We know that people who are abused are more likely than people who are not abused to go on to be abusers. Like not everyone will yeah, follow but, that track. But, but this, the, the yeah. risk is there. The risk um, is there and the behavior is contagious. So when I say this is very personal for me, I would have experienced sexual violence um, in my life already. And I'm, I'm not 100% comfortable talking about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know who listens to this podcast, but I don't, I know some people, but I don't know who all listens to it. But for example, maybe now my whole entire family will, no or whatever but for a very long time the people closest to me did not know mm-hmm. and I felt very ashamed um sometimes I think oh wow well, I'm damaged and broken granted I know I am not but you have those feelings but then you also feel like there's a shame in it because it's very this if I was because our society says to keep it quiet you know you feel ashamed but you don't really feel that there are people you can talk to. And it's not as simple as, oh, just say something. It should be, but it doesn't feel that way. It feels very heavy. And if our society doesn't accurately reflect that. And some, I know, I, not me, but I, I've known of people who have said, you know, my uncle did something to me and their family covered it up. Because right. they rather than, and you seeing your family cover up something like that. Mm-hmm. It does things to you. Mm-hmm. It turns you into an abuser yourself, but it also sh- shows you that the people around me don't care. The people in my community don't care. I know of people in communities where, for example, they all know that, let's say Mr. John, I'm calling a random name. Mr. John is, a, you know, he loves little girls or whatever, and or boys even. And people will send their children, everybody just say, oh, it's nothing. You know, I just sent you over there to get something. And that's what their parents are saying. What does that tell the child who, who knows realistically, my mother sent me over there, my father sent me over there because Mr. John maybe has money. And so when I go over there, my mother's getting something for that. That doesn't sit well with that person who would have been abused. Um, and we, we really feel like, as for me, I know I felt as though it was like my shame. I should be ashamed. But I really should not be ashamed that somebody decided to violate my me as a person. But that is what I initially felt. Now granted, my mother, she was she she never blamed me or anything. And when I told her, she said to me, you know, why didn't you tell me sooner? Mm-hmm. But what about people who whose families are telling you to be quiet about it. And, you know, you don't feel as though the justice system is going to properly deal with your situation. Or you're not going to get justice because what this, like, think about it. We think about, a. I read to you, a female will get seven years. She's going to get seven years. And she might not get the full seven years because there are things like, you know, mitigation when it comes to sentencing. So if she's been on remand, 
for two years. That's two years that are going to come out for actual sentence. Um, you know, good behavior. She's a first-time offender. These things count. Yeah, so you can so do something like that and theoretically not get very much jail time or get like a year or get 18 months or get time served or something like that. Exactly. And it's not only that, but realistically, how does that make the, the victim feel? Yeah. But also, when somebody commits a sexual offense, how are we really trying to engage that person in terms of understanding what the level of what they've done, the, the danger that causes, it would have affect somebody forever because being a victim of sexual violence, it never leaves you. Yep. And I just wanted to say, like, I'm so sorry that you had to have that experience. Like, I'm really so sorry. And I appreciate, you know, the courage that you've taken in sharing it on this podcast. Um, Thank you. Yeah. I'll just add to, like, um, I've been a victim of sexual violence as well. Like, I have an incident that happened when I was a minor and then, you know, others throughout the years. And you're so correct in saying that it never leaves you, especially when you have a family that responds with silence or telling you to be silent about it. That, you carry that forever. You do. And I'm so sorry as well that you would have went through that. And I think, Yanni, just a different, just a similar point. Um, I had my most negative experience as a minor as well. Mm-hmm. But there's so many ways as I speak as a woman. I don't, I can't speak to the male experience, but ways in which we are sexually assaulted, verbally, or everyday microaggressions that we may face, that we don't even, sometimes we're so desensitized to it. I remember I was like 15. And I was walking on Market Street. I can't ever forget. Mm-hmm. Um, I was walking on Market Street. And I had on a, a low-cut top. And it wasn't too low. But yes, you can see the tops of my breasts. Um, and a man. I've never seen this man in my life. But this man um, said to me, passing. You know, it's very... I won't even say But he made some derogatory comments. And... It wouldn't have been the first time you would have heard men make comments. I would have heard men make certain comments to me. But I don't know why in particular that stands out to me. It always stands out to me because I was just walking on the road and it was so lewd. Mm -hmm. I couldn't believe. And other people heard. And nobody said anything to this man. Nothing for it. Nobody Another experience, and just this is how normal these things are in our society, is I was 11, 11, yes, and my mom sent me to go to the shop to to buy her something. I was by my aunt, and so there I go to the shop, and you know, on the corner are a group of men. Some I didn't, I don't, I must, I knew one of the men. Because it's a neighborhood my mom is familiar with. So I maybe knew one of the men, but there were a group of men. And 
you know, one man kept calling out to me and I was scared. I didn't answer. So I was hoping when I came back from the shop that they weren't there, he was still there, but I didn't answer. And then he made a comment about, if I ever catch you, the things will do to you. Wow. And so I went home and I told my mom, my mom jumped in her car and she went up the road looking for him. I was, she said, show me the one who said something to you. And this man, when they had the competition, my mother said she doesn't know the man because it's an area where my family would have come from. He knew my mother though, and he knew who I was. Mm-hmm. He said, I, he said to my mother, that I trouble your daughter because y'all think y'all are better than people. Wow. Wow. He went to the police that night. And the police came first looking for the guy, but the people in the neighborhood had already alerted him that the police were looking for him. And so nobody could find him from a whole weekend. The police kept going back. They couldn't find him. So the community response is to protect the guy. Yes. See that? That's just awful. And this is the kind of culture that we need to move away from as quickly as possible. As possible. Like, we needed to be moving away from this 20 years ago. I, this, is, this shouldn't be a conversation that you and I, as young people, should be having. Yani. This is something that we should be like, we should be looking at things like this and saying, we're so glad we're past that. And that's yeah. why I think, also that's, I think, one of the reasons I want to prosecute in terms of helping vulnerable people. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully, if I do go into that sphere, maybe making a difference in terms of trying to lobby for change in our laws, especially our sexual laws. Yeah, I think we need to get to a point where even this kind of harassment on the street, because I don't think there's any young woman who can say they grew up in Antigua and didn't receive this at some point. Like, I, I think it's a universal experience. Universal, and you know, I I talk to young men and from all walks of society, and some of them don't even understand what they're doing. Because I've had a young man say to me, "But Zoe, I'm just telling her she looks pretty. I think she looks nice, so why can't I just tell her?" But we need to have more conversations, and we need to about that. But the laws also need to reflect that. Some of these nasty things that, because some of y'all are saying, good afternoon, Mr. Look Pretty. But some of y'all are saying some nasty, disgusting things to people mm-hmm. you do not even know. And sometimes people you do know who are just trying to go about their day that y'all need the law to come down on you. So you Because the law is supposed to be a deterrent. It is going to deter you. It's going to punish you because some of this, y'all are disgusting. Those words should not be, first of all, why are you thinking those things? And second of all, you shouldn't be uttering those words to people just randomly on the street. Yeah. Or harassing people in their WhatsApp. Things like that. Yeah, it's atrocious. It really is atrocious. So again, those are that's another way I see the law needing to step in I'm and address address an issue because it is an issue there's this statistic that often gets flung around when we're talking about any kind of sexual abuse sexual assault um that happens towards again kind of talking about the the women's experience because these are the numbers that we have um kind of globally and i think this might be an american stat but it's one in four 
young women are in some ways sexually assaulted or harassed before adulthood. And I wonder, yeah, what that statistic would be for Antigua or for the Caribbean. Do you know if these kind of stats are collected anywhere, either locally or regionally? So I know um, gender affairs would try to do stuff like this. When I was working in, when I, well, I was living in Barbados for university, I got very, not like, I was an intern, first of all, I volunteered with an organization and I became an intern with them, a local non-profit foundation for young girls called I Am A Girl Barbados. And so similar things happen across the region, but I had a very unique opportunity to work with UN Women, which they have an office in Barbados. And it's one in three based on the statistics they were using. And additionally, one, because we talk about the silence around it, the, whenever we talk about that one in three statistic, what would compass was short, it's probably not, it's probably far worse than one in three. And really how much, when you think about it's far worse, is that you're saying, is it everyone? Is it right. one in two? Because three is ridiculous, but because it's so much, it's a secret and we have such a secretive society, we don't know. I can speak amongst my you know, friend circles and mm-hmm. conversations I would have had with young women in different spheres, school work, internships vast majority of women i know have had some sexual violence assault experienced it in some way and sometimes you have women girls who don't even realize see having a conversation you know when they say no i didn't even realize that that was wrong or something was strange about it yeah we you know i i I just internalized and didn't even realize that that thing happened to me. Or you forget, I had one friend, we were mm-hmm. talking one time and, you know, we're talking kind of, she said, Zoe, she literally had like a, a wake up call. She said, oh my God. And I was like, what's the matter? She said, when I was a child and she explained what happened and she said, I did not remember that until this conversation. Mm-hmm. And that can happen. That's a very common way that... But- your mind will be memory yeah yeah so imagine that one in three statistic i always say i don't believe it but i'm so scared when i say that because what one in three is however so what mm-hmm. what am i saying what are we saying if that is not if that's not accurate what is it is it everybody and if it's everybody we already have a bad issue but if it's everybody what are we going to do about it yeah what are we going to do about it and like we have to do something about it we can't just let this continue we can't and then when you think about men and boys we don't even have proper statistics because we don't even pay much attention to that we've defined the problem in a way that leaves them out completely they can't be raped right yes also okay it should be women are going to jail for this but we make it seem as though yeah you lost your virginity at 12, great. You're a man. You have men in society who are encouraging their young sons to get involved in this. They're younger cousins. So your, your manhood is defined by this. So they don't even realize something is wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we have, have a lot of work to do on this front. Mm-hmm. 
I agree. And, yeah, and so I'm happy that you know bright young people like you are stepping up and talking about it and making a commitment to going into the field out there in the world and start to you know advocate for a change and actually actively create that change. I think it's really admirable that you you've made this a thing that you want to take on. Thank you, firstly, but it's very scary. When I think about, you know, the trajectory of where my, my career may or may not go, sometimes I'm so scared mm-hmm. at the idea of the things I'm going to see and hear. That's part of the reason why people stay so silent and shy away from the problem is we're all afraid of the reality of it. And it's only by like acknowledging the fear and just moving past it that we're ever going to see any difference. Yeah, totally. I agree with you 100%. One of the things that I think about is I know what I would have experienced and I would want to know that somebody, if, if I could think about it, I would want to know that somebody's out there working in a way or I want to be a part of a change so that somebody who may go through something I went through or worse or less but there's a system where people are actively working for that or to fix the issues. Thank you so much for sharing everything that you did and elucidating these issues in a way that I find was very like very reasonable, very measured and because you have personal experience with the the issues that you're talking about it's also like highly relatable so I really appreciate you doing all of that. So for anyone who has listened to this entire conversation and is curious about following your work and your trajectory as it unfolds, where would be the best place for them to do so? You can follow me on Instagram, zoe.mercedes, like the car, Z-O-E dot Mercedes. I think there's a dot. Actually, well, it's not. Yes, there is a dot. Zoe.mercedes and on Instagram, Talking Teague, which is my last name. So talking because I talk a lot. And Teague, T-A-G-U-E. Thank you so much, Yannick, um, for the opportunity. I I really appreciate it. I love what New Grassroots is doing. And so I'm glad I'm a part of this opportunity and this movement. Thank you for listening to this episode of Grassroots Radio. If you enjoyed the conversation, show some love and help spread the word. You can do that by subscribing on Apple, Google, YouTube, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Already subscribed? Consider leaving a five-star review. It helps other people find the show. If you have an idea for someone you want to see featured or a topic you want us to cover, let us know. DM us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at grassrootsANU or email us at thenewgrassroots at gmail.com. For more about NGR, visit us at thenewgrassroots.com. Until next time, this is... Grassroots Radio.